Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast. We're, we're excited today, yeah, right? Yeah, very, very excited. Yeah, my we wife, promised you she was that a little this perked year... up this morning. She went to the gym a little bit <laughs> earlier than usual, so... I'm just excited because we promised this year we wanted to, to bring you lots and lots of value with the guests that we bring on and the topics, and we're, we're bringing on someone today that has been on my wish list for about a year, so... <laughs> Todd yeah. Sylvester is here today. Yeah, today's the story of the little fish swimming with the big fish. Yeah. Yep. So we're just humbled to have you on, Todd, truly. Um, well, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. I want to introduce Todd to you guys a little bit. No one loves hearing anyone else brag about them. I don't know. Maybe there are some I know. that do. I'm like, sometimes you got to kind of lean into it. Our, just our, enjoy it. Our oldest son. Yeah. He would probably yeah. sit there with his... Yeah, he'd he sit would up love a little it. bit taller. <laughs> yeah, and and keep want going. you to keep going. Yeah, yeah. keep saying it. Yeah, to me, it's never been. <laughs> I don't know, but I do want to, people to know how lucky they are. Todd has a platform that is a large one, telling stories of redemption and inspiring stories of people who've overcome the unthinkable things. It's called the Belief Podcast, right? Or the, the Belief Cast. Belief Cast. Yeah. Sorry, the Belief Cast. Todd has worked as a life coach and a motivational speaker for the past 25 years. In his book, it lists his main goal. I've had one goal while doing this, to help free my clients from the faulty beliefs that limit their growth while increasing overall awareness. These limiting beliefs take many forms. Irrational thoughts, faulty reasoning, and negative schemes are only a few. Whatever the thinking error happens to be, they all stem from the underlying problem the inability to control our thoughts. And I think that was just so powerful. I had the chance of being on Todd's podcast yeah. last year, and it was an experience I'll never forget. Not only is he much taller than me, most people are. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's tall. But I realized his spirit and his passion, the love for others was bigger than even his six foot three frame. So, <laughs> you know, I was changed forever and we're grateful to have him on here today. Yeah, and I would I would add to that when Danny went on Todd's podcast, he came home kind of glowing and he was like, That was the most incredible experience. I'm not really sure how to articulate what happened, but it was so good. And I'm like, sweet. Yeah, so ever awesome. since then I've been listening to your podcast and I absolutely love it. Thank so you. I hope our listeners here, if you don't already listen to that podcast, subscribe to it today. It's the belief cast. It is and you'll so we'll link that, right? Yep. You always do, Blondie. Absolutely. Yeah, she always yes. links it. <laughs> yes. Good. That's great. So having said that, Todd, you have interviewed hundreds of people, yes. um, worked with hundreds of people, and um, you've told you've been very successful at telling people stories, which has obviously benefited so, so many people, uncountable, right. actually. But I actually want you to tell us your story. I want to okay. hear your story. Great. No, I'm you'd be I, willing. Absolutely. And again, thanks to you too. I love what you guys are doing and it's an honor to be on your show. And again, Danny, when you're on my show, it was awesome. And the feedback. And I think what, what made it so beautiful is the vulnerability. You were vulnerable yeah. and uh, it chokes me up to even think about it. Like, and, and vulnerability connects all of us. And so 
the vulnerability that he showed on the show and, and told his story was amazing. So hopefully I can do the same for your listeners today. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. So I'm, I'm very passionate about belief systems, as you've mentioned, um, because our beliefs dictate our behavior. So, you know, for your listeners, an example, a very simple example, if I believe on an underlying belief that I believe I'm uh, stupid or not very smart, my behavior will mirror it. I'll walk with my head down. I won't maybe go to college. I maybe not will do that job because subconsciously I just believe I'm not smart enough to do it. And so what I love doing is getting with a client and getting down to those bare roots of why they are behaving the way they're behaving. You know, we work with people in addiction. It's like, I don't have to tell them to stop doing heroin. They already know that it's bad, right? but let's get to the belief that's dictating that kind of behavior. And you get to that level and then you change that. It's amazing. And so, and it stems from, I used to have a belief again, that I wasn't good enough growing up. I think a lot of us, if not all of us on some level struggle with that, that we just were not quite living up to what people might think or this what, unobtainable expectation, yeah. right? Yeah. So I really struggled with that growing up. I was a very insecure kid and um, my behavior mirrored it. I was very shy. I would walk with my head down. Um, I was afraid to talk to girls. I mean, you name it. it. I really struggled with that until I discovered alcohol. And I took my first sip of alcohol when I was 11 years old. Now, I didn't get drunk or anything, but I fell in love with the rush of it. I knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. But there was a part of me who's like, wow, that was that was good, you know. See, I want to stop right there because that that was the exact same thing that happened to me. I was in the backyard of someone's house <laughs> at a young age and drank some beer, and I thought it was disgusting. Actually, <laughs> I, I didn't like the taste, and it was that instant relief. And I think there are so many young men, regardless of your you know your religion or your, your morals or values, nobody feels at the beginning that it's right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. But the reward you're getting from it kind right. of helps you overcome that. Yeah, and I grew up, you know, I didn't grow up in a religious family. My, my dad uh, drank, my mom drank, and my mom ended up having an opiate addiction. And so I kind of grew up around this quote-unquote party scene. Mm. I mean, and uh. it, I didn't think any different of it, to be honest with you. But yeah. I knew at that age, you know, my parents didn't want me doing that at 11 years old. And yeah. I knew that, you know. Yeah. But that opened this door of... I realized at a very young age, I had this all or nothing mentality, which can be really good if you direct it in the (laughs) right direction, right? (laughs) Yeah. But it can also be very destructive. And so that was me. I'm all in. And to this day, like I was working out with my wife the other day at Orange Theory and I'm going crazy on the treadmill. I'm just like, just, and my wife's like, my wife says, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm working out. She goes, no, you're not. You're being an idiot. (laughs) And I know somebody like that. Story of my life. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Do I need to slow it down? I mean, we're here to work out, aren't we? Yes, But that's kind of my mentality. And so when I was growing up, basketball was my passion. I played every sport growing up and I loved it all. But there, uh, probably about sixth, seventh grade is when I realized I want to play pro basketball. Mm-hmm. I want to get a college scholarship. And so that all or nothing mentality at that age even, I'm like, I'm going to practice basketball two or three hours every day as a sixth, seventh grader. Think about that. I mean, wow. most kids That's nowadays. That's like your whole day. It's my whole day. <clears throat> yeah. But I loved it. And so I quit every other sport and I just focused on basketball. Wow. And then... Um, I tried out for the freshman team at Brighton High School. I made I made the team, and 
which was great, but we had 18 kids on the team, which uh, meant I didn't get to play very much. Yeah. I got in when we were killing the team, and I was this short, little, skinny kid. <laughs> and I, it, it was actually very frustrating. I didn't get to play very much, and I thought, man, it just fueled that desire. I am going to practice even more. Yeah. Like, I was obsessed. And so, and, and you know, I'm still every now and then going behind the wet bar in my basement, sipping on some alcohol, things like that, with my brother. And, uh, again, falling in love with that kind of feeling. Yep. Well, at the end of my freshman year, school's almost over, the season's over. I get invited to go to Bear Lake with one of my friends. And it was a four-day weekend, so we go up there, and we pull into the campsite, and we're sitting in the very back of this, you know, Chevy Blazer. Yeah. <laughs> and my friend holds me back, says, wait a minute, let everyone get out of the car. So everyone gets out of the car, starts checking out the campsite. He grabs his backpack and pulls out a quarter ounce of marijuana. Never had seen it before, didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is it? And he goes, it's marijuana. And he goes, we're going to smoke this. And, and I'll never forget, he looks at me, he goes, you're going to love it. And I'll never forget that because I fell in love with it. We yeah. smoked that entire bag <clears throat> the next four days. I kid you not. Yeah. I mean, that for those quarter ounces, a sandwich bag full. <laughs> yeah. And again, being naive, I had no clue that this was going to take me down this scary road. And so, and I did, I fell in love with it. All or nothing mentality kicks in. I thought I'm going to smoke this the rest of my life. Yep. And, and that's going to be every day. And it's every all the day, time. All the time. And that's what I started doing from that point forward. A week later from that weekend, another friend of mine's parents were out of town for the weekend. And they asked me to ask um, a family member of mine, if they would buy us some beer for a party. So I go ask this family member and he ends up buying us 10 cases of beer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the good All old days. You could walk in with a dolly. And we're these <laughs> scrawny little freshman kids. We're, we're carrying all these cases of beer. We can't even carry them basically. And it's just like, and it was like, we invited anyone. Hey, we're having a party. Come on. Yep. And this is the first time I really drank like, I drank so much that I blacked out. I don't even remember half the night. I wake up the next morning with my friends around me going, dude, you were the craziest person I've ever seen last night. You were talking to these girls. You were doing this or that. And this started to feed my ego. I thought, man, look how everyone thinks I'm cool. Everyone thinks, because think about that age. We want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And I'm not kidding you. I don't know how to explain it. Not the drinking. It was the what my friends were saying. Oh yeah. Yep. And I'm like, I was talking to girls. I don't, like, I don't do that. Yeah, yeah, I don't do that. Yeah. That's wow. not me. And I thought that all or nothing. I like, I'm gonna drink every week. I'm gonna smoke pot every day, and I'm gonna drink every weekend. This is because so, you want everyone to feel the way they did about you all absolutely. the time. Absolutely. And that's what I. I mean, that's also part of the addiction. It's like, ooh, I want to be accepted, and I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I fit wow. in. And so this is the end of my freshman year. I'm partying every day now. I mean, honestly, I'm smoking every day and I'm drinking on the weekends. I'm still practicing basketball two or three hours every day. Between my freshman and sophomore year, I grew eight inches. Uh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm literally See, in my of all bed. the similarities that he and I have, that's the one I, I <laughs> Yeah. 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 No. You didn't quite get that, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I'd be laying in bed. I could feel my legs aching. With I was going to say that no. must have hurt. Oh yeah. I'd have to take, you know, ibuprofen or, you know, aspirin back in the day. Wow. Just, but, it, but that's really good for basketball though. Yeah. Oh yeah. So by the time I'm from freshman to sophomore year, I end up making the starting point guard. I'm sure. Oh. So yeah. I'm the starting point guard. I mean, again, I'm practicing two, three hours every day. I'm, I'm getting really good. 
My sophomore year, we took first in state. Wow. I led the team in every category. My junior year, we took second in state. I led the team in every category. My senior year, I was voted team captain with two other guys, and we took first in state again. Oh, wow. my gosh. So we had a good run. I played with some amazing athletes who went on to play college and some pro. I mean, it was amazing. And it was just I was just grateful to be a part of the team. This whole time, though, to go back, by the time my sophomore year starts, you know, now I want to try other things. I, you know, yeah, marijuana is a gateway drug. Alcohol is a gateway drug. I mean, they're all gateways to let's try something else. And so I started getting into other things. And so by the time my sophomore year, end of my sophomore year, I'm, I'm snorting Coke, mushrooms, we're doing cough syrup. Yep. Uh, back then, uh, cross tops or speed was a big thing. Um, quaaludes, yep. which this will really date me. <laughs> I don't even think they're around anymore. No. I mean, people listening, no. what's a quaalude? Yeah. <laughs> you have to be I listening to something like Wu Tang or yeah. Notorious B.I.G. that <laughs> once in a while you'll hear something. Every like now that. and then yeah. they'll mention a quaalude. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm like now, like, I'm all in. I'm like, I'm going to be the biggest partier that this high school's ever seen this is what's going through my mind. And so when my parents would go out of town, I'd throw a kegger at my house. I mean, I'm that guy now. I'm buying pot every week. I'm sharing my drugs with yep. people. I'm getting kids who have never used before. Come on, just try it. That kind of guy. Yep. And so this goes on. I start getting this reputation as this partier, and I wore it as a badge of honor. I'd walk around with an eighth of marijuana sandwich bag underneath my belt, in, in the hallways at school. You're and the man. I, and I felt like, in my head at least, mm -hmm. I'm the man. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm confident. At least it's synthetic confidence, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, by the time my senior year comes around, this is when things really started to change. <clears throat> and anyone listening to this will relate with this. I recognize this voice in my head. Now, I've had it. We all have it. Yeah. But it was this negative voice, and it was this voice of saying, you're pathetic, no one likes you. No one even wants to be with you unless you're, you're partying or doing drugs or giving someone some drugs. And, and I really was, this voice was really loud and I started to believe it. I walked the hallways, very depressed. Um, my senior year, um, I would play a couple really good games and then I'd play some really bad ones. Like mentally, spiritually, physically, I was a mess. And even my coaches, my family, friends were like, what's up with you? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. And I didn't correlate it with, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. I know. Yeah. You know, but back then I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just meant, I don't have my confidence like I used to. And so it was an up and down year. I, like I said, we took state my senior year. The state final game, I played the best game of my life. It just all clicked. Mm. Like uh, we beat uh, the team by 20 points. I played the best game. It was one of those like, wow, right? And a week after that, I got offered a full ride scholarship. And so I hit my goal. I was like, even though it was such a rough year mentally um, and emotionally, I, I, I hit that goal. And man, my family was so proud. My dad was so proud. Um, friends were like, I'm bragging to everyone. Hey, I've, I just got a scholarship. I can't believe it. I mean, I've got a full yeah. ride scholarship. And so in my head, here's that all or nothing. So the season's over, which was about, mid-April, if I remember correctly. So there's like a month and a half left of my senior year. So I'm thinking, I got the scholarship. I am going to party. I'm going to go crazy. Yep. <laughs> like yeah. literally. And I want to give one example. And it's not to glorify this because there's no glory in it. 
but I want to, I want the listeners to know how bad things got for me. So it was a week before graduation, this same friend whose parents went out of town when I drank for the first time yeah. and blacked out are out of town again. Oh, <laughs> this of course. is like ironic, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we throw this big, like almost, you know, senior graduation party and we invite everyone. And I'm not kidding you. It was packed house and you felt like everyone was there. We're drinking, right? Well, my friend pulls out a beer bong and we get in this big circle at this party, right? And everyone's going to outdo everyone. You're going to do one beer. You're going to do two. You're going to do three. I'm at the end of the circle. And I thought when it gets to me, I'm going to blow everyone away. Cause again, I want my yep. ego fed. I'm going to blow everyone out of the water. Look at me, right? Well, it gets to me and I pour a fifth of vodka in there. Oh, mercy. And my buddy next to me goes, dude, don't. And I didn't even hesitate. I lifted that bong over my head and I swallowed a fifth in two seconds. Now, I'm a skinny kid. Like, I mean, I weigh like a buck 50. <laughs> and my, I didn't know it then, but my blood alcohol level would have been 0.51. Lethal's 0.42. I should have died. That's the last thing I remember. I wake up the next evening at 6 p.m. on the floor in one of the most pathetic scenes you've ever seen. I'm covered head to toe in blood in my friend's living room holding a toilet seat. I have no idea how I got there. I have no idea what happened. And I can't even talk. It felt like someone had shoved a knife through my throat. And my friends, there they are, they're going... That's the craziest thing we've ever seen. Again, starts feeding my ego. But I can't even talk. I'm still wasted. I I can't even function. My I can't even think straight. I'm getting nervous. I didn't show up at home that night. My parents had the cops out looking for me. Oh, wow. I mean, it was one of those. But you would think that would have woke me up a little bit. But again, as you know, yeah, it just, I, I continued it. down this road. And so... Um, it was then, just a different hurdle now yeah. You know, you, a different experience that you had. Yeah. Yet families look back and be like, that should be enough. Like yeah. anyone who loves you would look and be like, wasn't that enough but, to yeah. change? But again, it's this all or nothing mentality. And again, it was, I'm trying to be accepted. And I want to make this clear for your listeners. Like there's such power in friends, good or bad. And there's such power in me feeling insecure. So I'm going to try to act like I am secure. So I'm going to show you guys. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. But I was a scared, depressed, and that voice in my head's going strong. You're pathetic. Mm. You know, end your life. I mean, I was suicidal. And anyway, I'm just in a rough place. So I graduate. I start, you know, summer comes. I start practicing with the team I got the scholarship with. About two weeks into the practice, the coach pulls me into his office and said, what's going on? And right when he said that, I knew I was in trouble. And, uh <clears throat> I said, I immediately just go, coach, I know I'm not playing well. I know I'm not where I should be. I will do better. And he goes, Todd, there's kids that are wa- have, are walking on right now that are playing better than you. They want it more than you. And he goes, I hate to do this, but I'm taking away your scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I literally get on my knees and I, I beg him. I start to cry. I go, please don't. Please don't do that. I will. I promise you I'll do better. And he's like, the decision's already been made. I'm so sorry, but if the decision's made, it's over. And I'm not kidding you. My first thought was like, how am I going to tell my dad? Because my dad kind of lived through sports yeah. with me. Yeah, that was your connection to him. And, and he, he he sent me to all the best ball, basketball camps in the country. He spent time, money, energy, everything. He poured a basketball court on the side of my house just so I could practice every day. I mean, I'm thinking... 
He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Yeah. yeah. He's going to be disappointed. He's going to be, I don't even know how to tell him. And then my second thought was, how am I going to tell my friends? I've been bragging to everybody. I got a scholarship. This is the one thing. Yeah. yeah. So now it's like, uh, yeah, I don't have it anymore. I'm like, what do you say? So boy, I went into this dark abyss and became very suicidal, like thinking about, and that voice, you're pathetic. Who does that? Who practices two or three hours every day since you're in sixth grade? I'm not kidding you, since sixth grade, and then you blow it because you'd rather get high or drunk or you know show off for your friends kind of thing. And I became this angry drunk. And anger, as we know, is a secondary emotion. And anger is our defense mechanism. And the two emotions we feel before anger is hurt and fear. I was feeling a lot of hurt, yep. sadness, and I was scared to death, right? And so what I do, I get angry. And when you know, you know this, when we drink, it's like a truth serum. It brings out what you're really feeling. And so when I would drink, I would punch holes in the wall. I'd throw chairs through windows. I'd pick fights. I'm not a fighter. Yeah. I mean, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but here I am thinking all this stuff. And, but really what was going on, I am hurting so bad. Yep. So I end up trying out at several other colleges here in Utah and then a few out of state, other universities get cut from every single one of them. Mm. And I'm lower than low. And now I'm living in a house down in Orem with five other guys and we are partying like you can't believe. And I call this house the nasty house because it was nasty. Mm -hmm. We didn't clean it. We had this big brick wall. When we were done with our beer bottles, we would just throw them and let them shatter. Never cleaned it up. People would pee in the corners. I'm not mm. kidding you. Oh. It was, we didn't clean the bathrooms. We didn't clean the kitchens. We punched holes in the wall. We destroyed this house. We destroyed it. And if you were to walk into it, you'd go, are you kidding me? Yeah. And the reason why I point this out, our outer world mirrors our inner That's world. That's what I was just yeah. thinking. Our, our outer world is, an, is a manifestation of what's going on in my inner world. So this house represented really what was going on with me internally. Which is why you felt yeah. okay there. Yep. And it was just almost like, like this if I went there I now, I'd be like, oh, oh yeah, you would here. run. Yeah. You'd feel so uncomfortable. And so, so this is where I'm at. Um, I'm not going to school. I don't have any college credit. I, I'm attempting to go to school at Utah Valley Community College at this time, but I'm failing every class. So then what do I do? I withdraw from my classes. <laughs> I lose the money, but I get a W. I just don't want to fail it. But I'm doing this over and over every semester, right? And I'm just partying, but I am a mess. And I'll never forget it. It was a Thursday and reality slaps me upside the head. And I knew in that moment, basketball is over. I am never playing college ball. It yeah. is over. And you know how important identity is. Yeah. That was my identity. If you were to ask me back then, yeah. who are you? I would say I'm a basketball I'm, player. I'm a ball. Yeah. Yeah. So when that identity gets stripped away because of my stupid choices, I'll tell you, I was like, I'm done. Lost. My my mom's addicted to opiates at this point. My dad drinks. My friends all party. I'm literally, I, you know, I'm not, you got to remember, I'm not religious. I don't go to church. I don't even know what church is. I was so scared. And I just thought, you know what? I'm done. And that voice in my head says, end your life. You're pathetic. And so I decided, I'm like, I'm going to go home. So at this time too, so it's a Thursday. On the weekends, I would go home and work as a bartender, which is not a good idea if you're trying to stop drinking, by the way. In case you're <laughs> not wondering. Not very effective. In case you're yeah. wondering. <laughs> um, 
And so but at the time it seemed okay. It seemed okay. <laughs> so I'm going to go home usually on a Friday. So I decide I'm going to go home. I, my dad has a shotgun. I know where the shells are in my backyard were these big juniper bushes. And I used to, as a young kid, crawl underneath the middle of them next to the fence behind it. And it was like this little, like secure cave. Yeah. And I would go there just to like be safe. And I thought that's where I'm going to end my life. I'm going to go there and that's what I'm going to do. So Friday comes. Okay. So this is Thursday evening. So I wake up, I'm hungover, you know, and I, I throw a shot down, you know, and I I get my car. And I head down University Avenue. And you know, there's Utah Valley Community College right there at the entrance. Well, me and my friends at lunchtime would always go sit in the lunchroom at these big round tables they had in there. We'd always sit at the same table every day. And we, you know, we do what guys do. We check out girls, we we just talk, gossip, whatever. And for whatever reason, as I'm getting ready to get on the freeway, it had to have been the time of brown lunchtime. I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go there first, almost like a goodbye to my friends. Oh. I thought, you know what? So I pull in there and, uh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so emotional. I've said this story a thousand times. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Um, I get there and I go sit down at this table and everyone's there, right? And I'm sitting here, all my friends are there. And there was these two religious girls sitting right next to me, these LDS girls. And these girls, I don't know why, they drove, they would sit with us every day. They would just come sit with us, you know, and they would always invite us to come to church. And we, and I'm telling you, I would rip these girls a new one. I would be like, your religion's a joke. You're a joke, you know, and they would just laugh and let it roll off their back. And they just, they drove me nuts. And I think the reason why they drove me nuts, they seemed really happy. I was miserable. Mm-hmm. So I would just take it out on them and they would just smile, let it roll off their back. Well, this particular time where I'm thinking about ending my life. They're sitting right next to me. I'm in my own head what I'm going to go do. Everyone's just in their own conversations, and I'm just sitting there like just staring off to space, planning exactly what I'm going to go do. And I overhear these two girls talking about fasting and prayer. Never heard that before. And I knew what prayer was. I didn't know what fasting was. I really didn't. I'm like, what is that? And I didn't dare say anything while everyone was sitting at the table. And I thought... Uh, I don't know, maybe I'll just, but it hit me, like that word fasting, I'm like, what is that? What is that, yeah. Yeah, it was just, I don't know how to explain it, it just, you know how sometimes you hear something? Well, it's interesting because you, it wasn't part of, like, your language, right? So it's just a brand new concept. Brand new concept. But it was also the frame of mind that you're in. You were in a state, emotionally, that that word not only triggered curiosity, but you were in a desperate place. Yeah. A bad place. And I think it was perfectly timed. Yeah, it really was. And so these two girls get up to go probably to class. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go ask them. So I stand up and I'm following them. And I'm nervous to like tap them. I'm like, do I dare say something? And I thought, what the heck? So I tap them on the shoulder. They turn around, what's up? And I said, were you guys just talking about fasting and prayer? They like smile like, why do you want to know? Because again, you got to remember, I ripped these girls. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And they're like, well, why do you want to know? And I'm like, no, guys, I'm I'm being serious now. What is that? So they go on to explain, in our religion, we fast once a month. Uh, we start with a prayer. We go the whole day without food and water. We end with a prayer. And as they're explaining this to me, in my head, I'm going, this sounds ridiculous. Why would you go the whole day without yeah. food and water? Worst day ever. That's like, yeah, yeah, hello. And I ask him, I go, I said to him, what's the point? 
And I'll never forget this girl gets in my face and says, if you want help from God. And I, I got to tell you guys, wow. it just it rocked my world. Because I didn't believe in God, but I did not believe in God, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. So when she said that, I thought, is there a God and would he help me? Could he help me? Oh my Could gosh. he even help me? So as I walk away, I just tell him thanks. I walk away, and as I walk away, I'm like, I'm going to do this. So I don't go home. I don't go be a bartender. I don't go take my life. I go back to that nasty house. And so this is Friday. So Saturday, now Saturday comes, and they said, start with a prayer. I knew what prayer was. Yeah. So I go into this tiny little coat closet. I swear to you, it's as wide as this chair. <laughs> and there's coats in it, which means I literally have to get on my knees. Yeah. So I close this door. The door's like right in my face. I'm like, you got to, it's fun, kind of funny. Yeah. I'm in this little crammed it area. Is. And I just said, God, if you're there, because I didn't want my roommates to see what I was doing. Sure. Because sure. they would have been like, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to even talk, tell anyone. So I just said, God, if you're there, I need help. That's all I said. And for the first time since Bear Lake, I didn't wake up and smoke a bowl. I didn't have a shot. I didn't pop a pill. I didn't snort a, a, a cross top. And you guys, I'm sure, know about fasting. When you fast, you can get kind of cranky. Yeah. <laughs> no. I was not me. Ne- never. <laughs> but hanger. I was hanger. Yeah. Hanger. I was real. really having a bad day. I don't know how to explain it. Like I was really struggling. I'm like, one, I'm not doing any of that. You're sober. And I'm not eating any food or water. And I'm just and the girls said, try to make it all day kind of thing. And I'm just like, I make it till like eleven o'clock or twelve. I can't remember, but it wasn't very long. <laughs> and and I just thought, well, the girls said end with a prayer. Yeah. So I'll go back into that same teeny little closet. Don't want anyone to see what I'm doing. And I just, I say it, you know, out loud, but not loud enough for anyone to hear me. I just said, God, if you're there, I just did this fast. I need help. And I sat there. You got to understand, I'm being naive. I'm naive. I'm, I'm an infant in, in religion or gospel or spiritual. I know, I know nothing. And I sit there and I thought, if God's real, he's going to show up. So I sat there. And I probably sat there for five minutes, felt like two hours, but I sat there for five minutes. I'm impatient. And I thought, he's not, it's not, he's he not didn't real. Come. Didn't come. Yeah. And I literally, I was upset because again, these girls didn't tell me, Hey, sometimes prayers take time. And a lot of times prayers are answered through other people. And yeah, they didn't tell me any of that. He's not going to just come to you. Yeah. Yeah. I thought there'd be this bright light yep. and Hey, here I am. And I ended up getting wasted that night. I got wasted. I was still having thoughts of suicide, but I was going back and forth. And it, it kept me from actually taking my life. I don't know how to explain it. it was a, there, you had another influence. You had hope. Yeah, there was another, yeah, there was a little bit of hope. And I didn't even talk to these girls. I didn't tell anyone. No one has no clue that I've done this. Hmm. I'm still partying with my friends. A month later, I get a phone call from my friend who I played basketball with at Brighton. He had since uh, graduated, obviously, from Brighton. He went on a mission. He was back, married, and, you know, living his life. He's done with everything. He's got a career. This would be rich. This would be rich. So rich In his book, that was my favorite <laughs> chapter. Yep. So, so Rich, good. yeah, Rich Rich Saunders, this guy, I'm telling you, he calls me out of the blue. And you got to remember, this is before cell phones. I don't know if you guys are old. Remember when you we used oh, to have just sure. the phone on the wall? Yeah. yeah. Like, with when a cord, it, yeah. And if and you're lucky, you had a long cord, so you can, yeah. <laughs> so you could trip somebody with it when yeah, you walked around exactly. the house. Exactly. Yeah. And then when it would ring, you you either were like, "Don't answer it," or you're excited that someone's trying to call you. Yeah, like, absolutely. Don't answer the phone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because we don't know who it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Let them leave a message. Yeah. Anyway, so 
he calls me at that. He finds where I'm at at this nasty house. Again, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And he goes, Hey Todd, it's rich. And I'm, I'm floored. Hey, I haven't talked to him since high school. I'm like, what's up? He goes, Hey, where are you at these days? I says, I'm down here in Orm. He goes, so am I. He goes, would you come over? I'd love to catch up with you. And I thought, okay, sure. Tells me where he lives. And again, in my head, I'm kind of going, this is weird. Why is he calling me? Yeah, what does I haven't he talked want? to him. What does yeah. he want? What does he want? So I go to his place, opens up the door. He's got a real serious look on his face, which, and I point this out because this guy is a goofball, loves to have fun. And I just thought, oh, you all right? Because yeah. he had this look just stern. I'm like, yeah. you all right? He's like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh -oh. Stone gold. You're like, I'm the one with problems and yeah. maybe you maybe you are too. Is this an intervention? What are we doing here? <laughs> um, so we sit down on the couch. We just do weather talk. Yeah. And then he starts saying all these good things about me. He's like, Todd, you're going to help so many people in this world. You are going to, you are a good guy. You're going to make a difference. And he's saying this and I'm going, what are you talking about? And then he starts saying, you're going to help kids. And he set, kept saying it over and I'm like, what is he talking about? And you guys know, I mean, as an addict, man, I am a train wreck. Yeah, you're feeling exposed because he's saying these things and you're like, no, you you're don't like, know. -uh. You don't know. And I did. I stopped him. I go, you have no clue, Rich. I don't know why you're saying all these nice things, but my life is a mess. So I'd appreciate it. I said, I'd appreciate it if you stop. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and he goes, well, Todd. And I go, oh, I said, like, why are you saying this? And he goes, well. I didn't go to work today. I called in sick because there's a message I need to share with you today. I'm like, Are you, is everything okay? He's like, no, everything's fine. And I can tell he's nervous now. Yeah. I'm going, what is going on? Long pause. He takes this deep breath and he just looks at me. He says, Todd, the Lord came to me last night and says, we need you on our side today. And I don't know how to explain it, guys. I felt this feeling. I can say it now. It, it was love. It was nothing but love. I, I, it actually kind of scared me. I'm like, what am I feeling right now? Undeniable, yeah. Yeah, and you know how your mind can rewind back to moments? It went back to when I was in that closet. And I tell Rich, I go, hey, I fasted about a month ago, and I asked God for help, and he goes, this is your help. We just sat there in silence. And I'll be honest with you, I even though it felt good, it felt weird at the same time. Does that make sense? So exposed. Like, it's yeah. warm, but it's exposed. Exactly. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And so we sit there and, and I finally just go, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> and what he does goes, this look like? And he goes, you need to go see your bishop. And I'm like, I don't have a bishop. He goes, you do. You just don't know it. So he gets back on the phone on the wall. <laughs> he spends one hour tracking down who my bishop would be in where my parents lived at the time in Willow Creek. He thought it'd be good if I went and got out of where I was at. Yeah. And so he gets me an appointment the next day with this stranger. Oh my gosh. And I mean, he hangs up the phone and he goes, okay, I got you an appointment tomorrow at such and such time. And I go, why do I need it? I don't want to go see this bishop. And he goes, what, I like, what am I going to tell him? He goes, you tell him everything you've been doing. I'm like, there is no way, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's no way. And Rich is one of those guys that'll grab you by the collar and he'll go, he grabs me by the collar and says, you better promise me you show up. And I'm not kidding you. He's got a hold of me. And I'm yeah. like, okay, okay. I'll, I'll go. So the next day, I'm scared to death. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I pull into this church parking lot. I see one car. I'm like, there's, there's the guy's there car. He is. I flip back around. I go, oh, hey, I made it to the parking lot. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I'll go in there, listen to what this guy has to tell me. I'm in and out of there in a few minutes. So I pull in there. I get in there. His name's Bishop Taylor. 
shakes my hand, sits down, and he goes, well, tell me what's going on. And he doesn't say another word. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, okay. Uh, How much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. So I tell him what happened with Rich with the and the, my experience with fasting and prayer. Again, I'm being really surfacey, but I end up spending three hours in this guy's office and I unload. I tell him everything I've been doing. I tell him the drug abuse, the alcohol abuse. I tell him the stuff I was doing with women. I was telling him everyone I was hurting, you know. And uh, spend three hours in this guy's office. And I, I'm sitting there, and he's just got this grin. I'm thinking, what is this guy thinking? He's going to boot me out of here. We get done, and he goes, I got four things I want you to do. I'm like, okay, what? He goes, do you think you can do one prayer a day like you did when you were in that closet? Because I told him the experience of the closet. <laughs> I go, yeah, I could, I could probably do that. He goes, great. And he goes, and he hands me a, a set of scriptures, never seen them, never opened them, didn't even know what it was. Crazy. Never. And he goes, he goes, I want you, you'll, you'll love this. He goes, I want you to read one verse a day. And I'm like, what's a verse? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and he literally opens it up and goes, here's one verse. And he goes, I don't even care if you understand it. Just read Just it. Just read it. I go, I can read one. One. Sure. Yep. So one prayer, one that. And then he goes, I want to meet with you every week for a year. And I go, nope. Nope. Not I said, signing Sorry. up for that. I go, no. And he goes, we're going to take it a week at a time. But he goes, I want to see you every week for a year. What I didn't realize at the time this guy became my rehab because there weren't rehabs on every street corner like no, there is today. No, there was yeah. not. There was you didn't nothing. Have that. I think there was maybe one that no one knew about it and no one wanted to go to anyways. Yeah. But I knew of nothing. And so and my family's a mess too. So we're struggling. So then he goes, I go, what's the fourth thing? He says, when we meet, I need you to be honest with me. He taught me one of the most amazing principles of how powerful honesty is. And I know we hear that word, right? And we go, okay, yeah, be honest. What he taught me, and I teach this to my clients to this day, if we're honest with ourselves, we will never relapse. Because think about it, we're good people, right? Mm -hmm. And over here's the drug world. How does a good person bridge the gap and come over to this world that we know is wrong? We know it's bad. How do we do that? We justify it. We minimize it. We rationalize it. And all of those thinking errors are lies. So he taught me. So I start meeting with this guy once a week, and I start telling him everything. Yep, I got high every day this week. Yep, I smoked pot. I stole this from my dad. I stole another 20 from my dad's wallet. And, and I start meeting with him. And it takes me eight and a half months before I can look him in the eye and say, I made it three days clean this week. Wow. I love this man. Yeah, this guy was amazing. And what's funny, and we laugh about it to this day, he didn't tell me to come to church. <laughs> and so I wasn't going to church. Because I think you, you would have known, I would have said no. He knew. He knew. So eight and a half months, I'm still a bartender, which again, it's not a good idea if you're trying to clean up your life. <laughs> I mean, so, and this is path. And this is where things really start to take a turn for the better. So I'm a bartender. As a bartender, I would make drinks for the waiters and waitresses for their customers. Anyone that sit at the bar, I'm making your drinks. And I became very good at manipulating you to give me a good tip. I'd give you your first drink free. Hey, it's on me. Mm. And I know for a fact you're going to give me a really good tip. Then the waiters and waitresses would give me tips too, and I'd get a lot of change. And I'd keep this change in the cup holders of my car, quarters, nickels, and dimes. And I would fill that up. I'd use it to buy pot. I would use it to fill my car. I had about $40 worth of change in my cup holders at about this eight and a half month mark, okay? Made it three days clean. 
I'm driving out of my neighborhood on a Saturday. It's sunny. It's beautiful. And as I'm driving out of my neighborhood, out of the corner of my eye, I see this little girl selling lemonade. No big deal. I drive right on past. And then I had this impression come over me. Almost a voice again said, turn around and give her all the money in your car. And I thought, wow, I got a lot of money in here. This is my fun money. 32 years ago, 40 bucks is a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, it's fun money. But I thought, you know what? Wow. Yeah. So I flip my car around. I pull up, roll my window down. There's this cute little fourth grade girl sitting there. And I said, how much for a cup? She said, 25 cents. I said, I'll take one. And so she brings it over to me, uh, hands it to me. I set it on my dashboard and I tell her to cup her hands in front of her like this, right? And I just start scooping all this money into her hands. And this girl's freaking out. She's like, no way. I go, hold on. (laughs) It takes me 10 scoops to get this money into her hands. And I'm not kidding you. This girl's getting emotional. I'm getting emotional. I'm going, oh my gosh, she's crying. Like happy yeah, tears. She likes this. And and then the very last scoop. I'm not kidding you. It takes me 10. I'm like, all right, I got a few more. There's a couple here. There's one on my floor, you know. And she throws the last pile under, under her table. And I'm not kidding you. It was everywhere. And she takes off into her house. And I'm thinking she's going to go tell her parents some dude just gave her a million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so as I drive away, I start to cry like I've never cried before in my life. Have you ever cried so hard you feel like you're cleansing your soul? Yes. This was a soul cleansing cry. I have to pull my car over. I put it in park and I put my face in my hands and I just sob. And I've never cried this hard in my life because for the first time in my life, I actually did something for someone else. Because you know, Danny, we become the most self-centered, egotistical, selfish people on the planet. Yeah. Like, I'm going to rob you, cheat you, steal from you to get what I want. And for the first time that I could ever remember, I made this girl's probably decade. And in that moment, I loved who I was. In that moment, I wanted to be clean. In that moment, it lit my soul on fire. There's one of my favorite quotes. It's actually in my office where we did the podcast. It's by Ferdinand Foch. He says, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. I'm on fire. And that all or nothing mentality kicks in. And I thought, you know what? If she's there next Saturday, I'm giving her all my money. Ironically, as a bartender that I'm earning. So the next Saturday I pull up. Sure enough, she's out there. I pull up. She recognizes me. She's like, Jack, here's the money guy, right? I give Santa. Her, I give her $25 and quarters, nickels and dimes. The next Saturday, I give her another $30, the next Saturday, another $25, and the next Saturday, another $40, and next Saturday, another $20. I do this every Saturday for the next two and a half months. Oh my. And every time I pull away, I cry. I literally just start bawling. I'm like, I, what am I feeling? You know, I say this a lot to my clients. You master the first 11 steps of AA, you will drink again. You master step 12, you'll never touch another drop. Amen. Step 12 is helping someone else. I'm making this girl. I mean, I think she just set up her lemonade stand eventually, waiting for me to show up. Probably And did. then she was done for the day. Probably did. <laughs> so after this, so eight and a half months, two and a half months, right? So eight and a half months before I make it three days clean, had the experience of the lemonade stand. Two, the next two and a half months, every Saturday, I'm giving her every penny I have. After that two and a half months, I decide, you know what? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to just go by myself. I have to walk past my dad and brother who watch an NFL football, and I'm scared to death because they're going to go, where the hell are you going? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Like, Looking and, like that. Why are you dressed up like that? Yeah. Well, you got a tie on. It's Sunday. Where are you going? 
Yeah. Again, my family was not a religious family. Matter of fact, anti-religion. Anyway, I love them. I love you yeah. guys. You know that. So I go to church for the first time. I sit in the very back corner and I thought, I'll stay for a few minutes and then I'm going to leave. I just want to see what it's like, what, what this is about. As I'm sitting there, I look across on the other side of the chapel. There is that little lemonade girl with her mom. Oh my God. And she sees me and she's like, Mom, there's the guy. She starts pointing. She's there. She's waving like you are this. Not she stands up, laying low anymore. Yeah. And I'm just like, you're like my cover. <laughs> yes, busted. I'm a, yeah, I'm exposed again, yeah. right? I'm like, oh brother. So I end up staying. When church was over, they come walking over. The mom's crying. She comes up and hugs me. She's in my ear and she says, "Todd, thank you." Or she didn't even know my name. She said, "Thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter." And I'm like, "Oh no, you have no idea." This has been for me. The gift was for me. And she me. goes, no, no, you don't understand. Uh, she was saving for a trampoline. You put her over the top. She got her trampoline <laughs> because of you. And she, I just can't think. And I'm like, again, you have no idea what this has meant for me. And then she goes, we have a favor to ask you. I'm like, okay. I don't even know. And she goes, on Wednesday, there's a daddy-daughter date. Would you go as her date? Oh, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, my. uh... And I'm not kidding you not, there's, her name's Lindy. Lindy's just staring at me, smiling. I'm like, what am I going to say? Yeah. And I, and, but I do say, well, what about her dad? Yeah, you're like, where's the dad? Where's the dad? And she goes, well, we divorced when she was younger. He's not a part of her life at all. Would you please take her? I'm like, sure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, literally. And as I walk away, I'm going, why did I say yes? Yeah. Why did I say you're yes? Like, what just happened? I immediately regretted I just, that. <laughs> right? Like, what did I just get into? So Wednesday comes. I'm going to pick up this girl that I have no clue who she is. The mom has no clue. She's asking this drug addict to take her fourth grade daughter up the canyon. <laughs> it's crazy. Yes. So I go pick up this girl. I'm scared to death. My heart's pounding. You know, it's that awkward silence. I'm like, yeah, how was recess today? <laughs> what do you play? Yeah, what do you- yeah, how was Foursquare? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? exactly. Do you play any tetherball? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you say? I don't, yeah. I'm literally scared out of my wits, right? So we pull up to the campsite up Big Cottonwood Canyon. There's We're late. There's all the dads with their daughters. I walk out there, don't know anyone, don't even know her. And I'm going, why did I say yes? <laughs> yeah, how did this happen? Yeah, how did this happen? So we're sitting there. I'm a fish out of water. I don't know what I'm doing. And they start playing games, right? One of the games was, how well do you know your daughter? How well do you know your dad? Oh, no. Favorite color, food, movie. And I look at Lindy and go, I'm sorry, we can't do this. You know, We don't know each other. I swear to you, she says, let's guess. If I wouldn't have been there, I wouldn't believe it myself. We almost get every answer correct. We're high-fiving each other. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And everyone knows she's not my daughter. They're like, man, are you guys cheating? I'm like, no, I'm not cheating. We're not cheating. And we're like, it was the most surreal thing. And here I am. I'm used to waking up drunk with puke all over me, doing some horrible things the night before. And here I am sitting with this pure, innocent girl and we're having hot dogs and (laughs) Kool-Aid. I'm like, what is this? So anyway, this is where my life truly changed forever and why I'm sitting here. Obviously, there's events that led up to this. Sure. They gather everyone in to say a blessing on the food. I thought, that's weird. Is there something wrong with the hot dogs? You got to remember, I'm the an cultural infant. cultural norms are yeah. killing me because I, it's so true. I'm like, blessing the hot dogs? Who, what? That is weird. Where did you get these? We're going to bless the dogs. That were, I, it just was weird to me. I wasn't used to that. So anyway, this guy, you just, all right. And, and I literally am, oh, okay, we fold our arms and everyone's okay. bowing their okay. heads. Walking around, yeah. 
During this prayer, I hear this voice in my head that says, Todd, you're in the right place, doing the right thing. You've made an impact on this girl's life that she'll never forget, and I love you. And I lose it in this prayer. I lose it. I mean, I lose it. The prayer's over, and everyone's like, dude, it's just hot dogs. Relax, you know? (laughs) And Lindy's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, no. These are happy tears. And in that moment, guys, is when I decided I will never do drugs again. I will never drink again. And um, I will do my best to always be honest, have integrity, be accountable, help people. I'm going to dedicate my life to this cause. And that was 32 years ago. Man, have you done it. 32 years. And remember how Rich was always saying, you can help a lot of kids. I had this inspiration. I'm in my room and I'm writing down, how can I help people? Like, how can I help kids? Because I had this experience with Lindy and I'm like, I want to impact kids like that. I want them to to never do what I did. So I want to hit them before they get there, right? So I'm doodling in my in my journal, you know, notebook. And my nickname in high school was Sly Dog. My last name's Sylvester. And I had a dog and we named the dog Sly. <laughs> so all my friends, even my teachers and coaches would call me Sly Dog. Yeah. So I start doodling this dog. I still have it. Just a stick figure dog. I'm not an artist by any stretch. And, I, and the idea comes flooding down. There it is. I'm going to create an animated cartoon character that's going to go into every elementary school. I'm going to share my story. I'm going to teach these kids to believe in themselves and to stay away from drugs and alcohol. And I don't know how to explain it. You know, when you got the idea and you know it, yeah. I literally throw it down and I run around. Do you have a dog? We, no, we have, have a cat, a 16 chickens and all sorts well, of mad. Oh, we did. Before we, did we had dogs. kids, when yes. we met each other. Did your dog ever, when you came home from like going to the store, come back, your dog's so excited, it just runs Circus. around the house. Yes. Yeah, this was me. I ran around the block full <laughs> speed for two, two blocks. Because <laughs> I knew this is what I'm going to do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, I'm in. And so I went to a graphic designer, created this uh, animated cartoon character called Sly Dog. His motto was drug free. That's me. And I went around to every school in the state of Utah. I was going head to head with Dare. And my program was a week long program, not just an assembly. I stayed in the school for a whole week. By Wednesday, I'm a rock star with these kids. I did this for the next five years, spoke to over 300,000 kids. Oh my. And I got, I got totes full of letters still. From these kids saying, I will never touch drugs because of what you taught me, Todd. And what's interesting is parents would come up to me and go, my son and daughter, they love your program. They love what you're doing in the school. Would you work with them one-on-one? I'm like, yeah, sure. Not a clue what I'm doing. Yeah. But that's what started like my coaching. Yeah. I started sitting down and I realized I got a knack for this and a passion for it. Yeah. And I started meeting with these kids and I... and. And then it just morphed. I've done over 17,000 sessions since then. Oh, my gosh. And I pinch myself. Are you kidding me? Like, that's how it all unfolded. And that's why I'm sitting here right now. I mean, I've been doing this podcast for four years now. I get to sit with you two. I mean, I say this all the time. If I could go back to my addiction, if I could walk up to it, hey, addiction, you know what I'd say to it? I'd say thank you. Yeah. And I'd give it a big hug. You want to know why? Because I'm sitting with you guys today. And it made you who you are. Well, that too, yeah. But more importantly is I get this moment with you two. You, us three, sorry. Yes. Heidi in the back. Yes, (laughs) yes. But you know what I mean? I get to do that. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, as I was driving here, you don't know. I was like, literally like, are you kidding me? I still get to do this? Yeah. This blows my mind. 
So that opened up to, you know, here I am 32 years later and doing what I'm doing and I get to sit and talk to you guys today. And you are so good at it. Oh my <laughs> heavens. Well, Mercy. The, the powerful part is that you still feel it. It still yeah. resonates with you yeah. in such yeah. a powerful, emotional and spiritual way. And I know that you know better than anyone else. It's been a long time that when you look back, it's kind of hard to actually remember a lot of the details, at least for me it is. But there were those specific moments that happened and those moments happened exactly when they were supposed to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Like sitting with those girls, hearing yeah. those two yeah. religious girls yeah. talk any other day. Had you not just pulled in yep. to say goodbye crazy. to your friends, crazy. you never would have given it attention. Yep. You never would have tracked them down and asked them. And then several events that happened after. Yeah. The Greeks actually call that a Kairos moment. Back in early biblical times, the Greeks would track time two different ways. Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is chronological time, minutes, hours, months, days, years, right? Kairos was a transformational moment in time when the Savior would perform a miracle. The Greeks would call that a Kairos moment, or in other words, a transformational moment in time. They actually call it a tap on the shoulder, like, hey, yeah. this is going to change. So like, I'm driving past the lemonade stand. It was a Kairos moment. It was a tap mm -hmm. on the shoulder that said, hey, give her all of your money. And you watch what happens. Yeah. See, and another principle I learned is when you give, you get. Oh, right. Yes. If you want to be anything, you give it away. If I want to be inspiring, I'm going to go inspire someone. And now I'm inspiring. If I want to be happy, I'm going to try to help you guys be happy. Now I'm happy. Yep. Give yeah. to get. And that's what I learned. So what's interesting is I gave my money that I earned as a bartender to this girl. I gave it away. And I got my life got back in so return. Much in I got my life in return. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's powerful. It, it is amazing to me. And it I, is. It is. I love the part <laughs> where you talked about the honesty. You know, the mantra for our business that we trademarked is our secrets keep us sick. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. You know, your, yeah. the process you went through with this bishop who sat with you all, all this time was practicing rigorous honesty. Yeah. And what you were doing were sharing your secrets. Yep. Those were your, yeah, that's a good point. those were those yeah. things that you kept. They were your secrets, whatever, whether they were good or bad or harmful or not. Sure. They were your secrets. And the problem is with so many young people and nothing changed the, the thing is, is nothing has changed from 32 years ago when you went through this, you know, almost 15 years ago when I went through this, it's nothing different now than what the young people are going through and that all of yeah. us are carrying something inside, something that's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. something that hurts. There's a void just something that we're unable to process or handle. Yeah. So as soon as something comes in, you know, and nowadays there's, there's a whole smorgasbord of yeah. options that yeah. we didn't have. Right. Right. I mean, nowadays with the sexual addictions and, and, and so many different things, not to mention, you know, our stories are so similar. And a lot of what you felt in the beginning was the same. I felt like, how am I ever going to measure up to be this? How am I going to do this? And then as soon as you, you become identifiable for something you latch onto it and it's a subsession, right? Yeah. We were comparing ourselves to the people we saw in our school or our neighborhood. Now young people are comparing themselves with the world, the world yeah. filtered yeah. the best yeah. version of and all this. So the problems are even getting worse that are affecting these young people. But to me, those simple things that you went through that taught you the principles of believing mm -hmm. honesty and helping other people, 
it's the same things that are required today. Yeah. You know, and we to may, get out of any any circumstance, really. Yeah. It's it doesn't have to be drugs yeah. or alcohol, anything. Yeah. We're just big believers that it it's in community that we defeat isolation. It's in, in community that we heal. That we heal. Yeah. And community could be for you, it was meeting with this bishop. Yeah. You were just no longer alone in it. Yeah. You weren't carrying that alone anymore. Yeah. I just think it's so important. And so often families nowadays, we talk about, they want to keep it in house, right? We live in a community where there's a lot of families that are awesome. They're successful, educated, God fearing, wonderful people. But yet when someone in their family is suffering, they want to like keep it in house. Like we're going to handle this on our own. We're going to take care of this on our own. Right. But that loved one won't have that transformative experience in that dynamic. They need help. And so you know what, whoever you find, I'm sure all these young people that you've come in contact with in so many different ways over the years have just felt a connection to you. Why? Because they know. Mm-hmm. They can't tell you, you don't know. Right. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know how I felt or where I've been. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Although different stories, you know exactly where they've been and exactly mm-hmm. how they felt. And to them, that makes them feel completely open to sharing their sufferings and what they're dealing with with you. And yeah. I just love it. That was just this. It was so powerful. And I, to me, like the lesson I hear in that as a mother is teaching your children that their, their identity isn't outside of themselves. Right. Yeah. We need to talk about that. That, That's That's huge. huge. Yeah. That that's it. I mean, if you can really grasp that concept of, of your eternal identity, yeah. You can't get knocked too far off the mark. Can we talk about this? Yeah. Because I think this that you're you're hitting it on the head. I mean, if you were to go ask your kids, who are you? I right. guarantee you 10 out of 10 can't answer it. They don't know. And they might do what they do in Utah. I'm a child of God. And then yeah. I'll say, what does that mean? And they'll go, I'm not sure. Right. So knowing who you are is to me the foundation that keeps us where we need to be. That is the immovable center yes. that, I, that yes. never goes away. Yeah. And to be able to have your, so I challenge any parent listening to this. Yeah. How do you teach that? So think about this. I, I always ask this question. I say this, how long should it take a baby to learn to walk? The answer I should get in return is until they figure it out. A baby will learn to walk until they figure it out. Then when we watch a baby fall down, get back up over and over, right? What characteristics does the baby possess as they're doing that? Uh, resilience, determination, belief, uh, faith, uh, courage, um, love, light, positivity, right? And then I'll say, where did the baby get those characteristics? And the response should be, and they get there eventually, is they were born with it. Mm. I go, yeah, because I can't teach my baby, hey, you be confident. It just is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and then I'll say, what does that mean about you then? You've always been. that's, That's me. Yeah. So there it is. It's yeah. those core characteristics that never go away. Yeah. Mm. And so then but you, you lose them in life. Like humanity beats it out of you. I'm going to say it differently. Yeah. You don't lose them. You forget yes. you have them. Yes. They're I love that. always there. Yes. So what I do is I, I help you realize that it's, it's always been there. You just forgot you still had them yeah. because it's in your DNA. It's in your DNA to never give up. It's yeah. in your DNA that you're love, light, and energy. That's yeah. you. Yeah. So when you can have your kid answer, who are you? And they go, I'm confident, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm love, I'm compassion, I'm understanding, I am love, I am light, I'm tenacious, I'm brave, I'm gorgeous. You know, the list goes on. That's how you got to answer that question with conviction. So 
because knowing who you are will keep you. And I'll end with this because I know maybe our time's up, but oh, this is, I could talk for days on this. <laughs> I love You can come back because yeah. I want to. There's a story. Um, there's an old story about King Louis the Sixteenth. He had a son who was a prince. The enemies of the king knew that when the prince dies, the, or when the king dies, the prince will take over as king. They didn't want that to happen, so they went and killed the king and took the prince. Instead of killing him, they threw him into prison. And they thought, let's ruin his reputation. Let's give him uh, alcohol to drink, women to have sex with, fatty foods, anything they could think of. Well, the prince refused all of it. He refused the women. He refused the alcohol. He refused the, refused the bad foods. And his captors were getting so frustrated. Why do you refuse this? And he looks him in the eye and he says, because I was born to be a king. He knew who he was. That's why knowing who you are matters, just yes. like what you were saying. Yeah, it really does. But I could talk for days on this because it is so important. Good. So everyone, anyway. I think we just had Todd commit to a part two. <laughs> I'm, I think, I'm in. I think. I'm I, in. You okay. know, and I do want to remind everyone out there, every desperate mother, father, spouse wanting this transformation to happen for their loved one. Because reality is there's people, both sides listening. People right. who are Absolutely. suffering and people who love someone suffering. Yep. This transformation didn't come overnight. It didn't happen mm -mm. in a right. single event. Yeah, It wasn't some magical moment that this happened. It was a grind. It was a process that you went through mm -hmm. to build this beautiful person that you've become today. And so I think if anyone takes something from this, it's that it started. When you felt inspired to do something, you acted on it. Yeah. And that for everyone is going to be different. When, yeah, a, when a family member feels inspired and they know things aren't right and this is bad or something's going to happen, stop carrying this burden alone. Stop keeping this in house. Stop trying to do this on your own and reach out to someone who can help. Well, and, yeah. and it takes time. And I really love, yeah. I love that your journey was rather slow and that yeah. like you just kind of started meeting with this person and kind of telling them what you were doing. <laughs> that, that was really the only thing that changed for a little bit. Right. Yeah, right. And then it wasn't like, well, and then I went to church and I, it was very slow and we need to allow others that, that journey. Yeah. Right. It, it's yes. one, it's the next right step, right? Not 50 steps, break, go back. You know, it's just, you've got to just take one tiny step yeah. at a time. It takes six months to build a Royals Royce. Oh yeah. Yeah. There you well, go. Those Royce are nice. They're yeah, great they cars. are. <laughs> it takes six months to build one. Man. So it takes time to build, like you said, a beautiful life. Yeah. A beautiful, because again, we're all beautiful in inside. We, every one of us, but it's about tapping back into that. And it, it takes a minute. Yeah. You know? Well, does. from going from that nasty house. Yeah. Yeah. To taking a. I bet your bathroom's immaculate. Yeah. It's pretty clean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then to go taking a detour route to say goodbye to people as you've planned to take your life to the point now where you've helped thousands and thousands of people, man, is truly hundreds of thousands. It's crazy. It's amazing. So thank you. And thank you for bringing that energy and that spirit here today. Thanks of for having course, me. Of course, my wife will make sure that in our notes, right? Anyone yes. who wants to. Yes. And, and we'll put everything to connect with Todd in the notes so that you can follow him and listen to his podcast and buy his book and just see everything amazing that he has put out for the world. So you all need, you all need it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for being here. You bet. Thanks for having me guys. It was awesome. <laughs>